It is time for the segment. One of the segments that I look most forward to when I am filling in for Evan Solomon. It is Wednesday. That means it is time to convene the great political minds of our country for the war room. Let me be perfectly clear. Putting out misinformation. We hear that. Misleading politics. What's really important here. Spreading it online. Unequivocally. The war room. The War Room. And joining us today, CTV political analyst and former NDP leader, Thomas Mulcair. How are you, Mr. Mulcair? Very well. Good to be back with you, Tamara. Also on the line, Chairman of Summa Strategies and Managing Director of Abacus Data, Tim Powers. Hello, sir. I think we're still waiting for Tim. And Laura D'Angelo, Vice President, National Strategy and Public Affairs at Enterprise Canada. How are you, Ms. D'Angelo? I'm doing great. Wonderful. So I understand we've got Tim on the line. Welcome to the welcome to the party, Tim. Let's jump right into it. Okay. So in a Toronto Star column published Monday, NDP leader Jagmeet Singh told the stars Althea Raj that if the new dental program for low-income children under 12, and remember this is the centerpiece of the NDP Liberal Supply and Confidence Agreement, is not implemented by year's end, he'll walk away from the deal, telling Raj. Quote, I made it really clear to the prime minister directly that this has to happen. There's just no option for them. This has to happen. The deal stands on this. Well, lo and behold, Deputy Prime Minister Christian Freeland said yesterday that the government is working hard to meet its end of year deadline to deliver dental care coverage to kids. But she noted this while speaking at a press conference yesterday. Delivering new services to Canadians is complicated. And I think Canadians understand that. We are working very, very hard on dental care. It's complicated. It's complicated. We made this coalition that's not a coalition, but it's complicated. Is that going to fly, Tom Mulcair with Jagmeet Singh? Uh, No, it's not going to fly. I don't know if it's going to fly with Singh because I was uh, reading with great interest what his health critic, Don Davies, said. And this was one of those uh, phrases for the ages. Uh, We've identified several ways to ensure that the target groups can access dental care on the identified timelines. I love that sort of gobbledygook. Look, it's quite clear when you read what's coming out of Duclos office, the federal health minister, what uh, was just said in in the clip that we were provided from Christy Freeland, that this thing's not ready. Who knew? You know, that the gang that brought you the Phoenix pay system, the inability to procure anything from a fighter jet to uh, to a, a warship, uh, who have the worst airport record for, you know, for delays and canceled flights in the world. That's not me saying that. That's CNN that went around the world and came up with Pearson Air- Airport. Then you hear them say, who knew it's complicated to put into place a new social program? This just in. Anybody who's ever been in public administration knows it can be complicated. But I'll tell you right now, tomorrow, I've seen really complicated programs put in place in the timelines that we're looking at. It's just that they're not very good. This is a government that is guilty of serial incompetence in so many files. And this doesn't come as a surprise to anybody that's ever watched this liberal government try to get anything done. But now Mr. Singh is going to have a lot of egg on his face because it's obvious that the program that he signed for is not going to be available in December, as promised. Laura D'Angelo, how do you think, uh, how do you expect the NDP leader, Mr. Singh, to proceed when this inevitably is not available come the end of the year? 
So I don't think it's inevitable that it's not going to be available come the end of the year. And I think that Mr. Singh is doing what he should be doing right now, frankly. He's reassuring new Democrats that he's committed to defending his party's priorities. I don't think any liberal has an issue with that. He was criticized for this deal in the first place. Of course, he's trying to hold the government's feet to the fire. But I also think that Minister Freeland and Minister Duclos have been very clear that this program is going to be delivered. The health critic, Don Davies, is working very hard with them to do that. And I think that we have to we have to listen to that. Of course, it's complicated. Of course, we wanted to move faster. We all want to provide services for the most vulnerable people in Canada. But this government has a track record for delivering for children and families. The child care agreements are signed. The CCB lifted 780,000 children and teenagers out of poverty. I don't think that a failing record. They've shown their commitment, and I think that's going to continue. But, but Laura, they've had their their own commitments that have been their own priorities, but this arguably was not a priority for the Liberal government until the NDP told them, if you want us on board, it has to be a priority. So do you think that they'd be dealing with it in the same way as, as things that they campaigned on, with, with, on their own platform? I do think they will. I think that this government is committed to delivering services and delivering programs for the most vulnerable. This is an important one. I don't I don't think that's partisan. I think that as Canadians, we want to provide and support everybody. So I do actually think they're committed to this. I think, you know, it's, it's also politics. I think they're committed to this because they want to make sure that they have a successful parliament for the next session. And they know that this is a big factor there. Tim Powers, I mean, we've heard both sides of the argument now with Tom and, and Laura. Where do you land on this one? It's so complicated, Tamara. It's so complicated. I mean, <laughs> it's just Tamara. so complicated. You know, I hear the Deputy Prime Minister say that, and uh, Tom and Laura will probably recognize this as well. It reminds me of that commercial when Stefan Dion said it was difficult to make priorities. If Christian Freeland wants to be the Prime Minister, she's got up her comms game first and foremost, starting with it's complicated in the tone in which it was delivered was not helpful. Anyway, that little rant aside, I look, I, I, Tom knows better than we do what's going on in the NDP, but I think he's got. I think the NDP is very um, restive at the moment, and Mr. Singh is trying to respond to that. I, I lo- l- liken it to the speed and success Mr. Layton had years ago with Mr. Martin when he was able to do a deal with a prime minister that needed the support more urgently, and he got something done, and that happened more quickly. Maybe Mr. Singh is being compared to this in his own ranks, and uh, and it's not playing out well. Certainly, I have to imagine NDP members are not happy with Singh's support right now per- of the Liberals, particularly given the, the, the failures that Tom uh, well articulated on the Liberal front right now. So yes, as Laura said, there's some politics in all of this. I don't know whether they'll make the deadline or not, uh, but certainly Mr. Singh has to say something about it, uh, or uh, or he will look even more limp-fisted than some in his own party may view him to be at the moment. Yeah, and, and and Tom, as as Tim just said, and as you said earlier, he you know, Jugme Singh is going to have egg on his face if he doesn't do something come the end of the year. If this deal is not in place, do you imagine that you know, if if behind the scenes he's being told, look, we need two, three, four, five, six more months to get this in place, is there something else he could put on the table to say, okay, then I want this too, and and to bring then to to the public to say this is what we're also getting out of this. What people are doing is going through Mr. Singh's previous statements. It was the number one argument that he used when he tried to justify the deal. You can just imagine 
being an NDP candidate, you know, a returning MP trying to get reelected or a new candidate going door to door in the next election saying, you know, don't vote for those liberals. They're a bunch of scoundrels. We're the real deal. First question is, well, if they're so bad, why did you support them for three years? And second of all, why didn't you ask for something like the respect for Canada's obligations under the Paris Accord on climate change? And Mr. Trudeau immediately approved a massive offshore oil project. And Mr. Gilbo, his environment minister, has just announced that the 2030 targets that they said were set in stone, that they're not even on the table anymore. That was what Gilbo said a couple of weeks ago. So the average progressive looking at this stuff is saying, why did you make this deal in return for what? So they're going to try to rationalize it. They're going to say, well, we've identified this. And I'm sensitive. Uh, Laura, da- Laura D'Angelo's point earlier on when she was saying, look, you know, they've done other things to help people on the lowest rung of the social economic ladder. Laura's right. But this is not about that. This is about this specific program that they promised. And it goes to a question of government competence. Why do they seem to always be unable to just do the work of government? And that's because nobody's minding the store. They're great at communications, but they don't know how to get stuff done. Fascinating stuff. We're going to have a lot more coming up from in the war room after the break. We've got Tom Mulcair, Tim Powers, Laura D'Angelo on the panel today. Lots of other interesting stuff to discuss, starting with, you know, some of his many interesting calls we got in reaction to Ontario's budget and throne speech yesterday. I'm Tamara Cherry, filling in for Evan Solomon on The Evan Solomon Show. And it is Wednesday, which means we've got the war room happening now. Joining the the political panel this week is Tom Mulcair, CTV political analyst and former NDP leader, Tim Powers, chairman of SUMA Strategies and managing director of Abacus Data, and Laura D'Angelo, vice president of national strategy and public affairs at Enterprise Canada. All right, everybody, the phone lines absolutely lit up, as did the text board earlier in the show when we started talking about Ontario's throne speech yesterday and the finance minister's budget that was tabled. People are not happy with the Ontario government, given what is happening in the health care system right now. Laura, I want to go to you first. You know, um, I I was actually I got to say I was surprised. I was I was expecting more of a mix uh, from our listeners and and our texters. But across the board, everybody was angry. I mean, I don't I don't know that I'm surprised by that. All we hear about in the news right now is that. You know, mothers are having to use their own personal prescription supply to while their child was in the hospital that I mean, ERs are closed everywhere. I I don't surprise I'm not surprised that the fury is at the healthcare system and and you know at Premier Ford not fixing it. Tim, uh, do you think that Premier Ford uh, and, and his health minister Sylvia Jones will change course at some point in the coming days? There, because I should I should point out that Sylvia yep. Jones said earlier this week this is that it, it's it's absurd basically I'm paraphrasing to call this a crisis what we're in right now. Well, that's kind of dumb. That's right up there with the Krishia Freeland comments. But uh, <laughs> and I don't know why you quite make that comment. But it's, it's complicated, Tim. It's, it's complicated. complicated. A crisis is complicated, but you know what? Uh, as they say about a crisis, you shouldn't waste a good one. Um, and exactly. look. Uh, it is good. Tamara, I would say this. It is a great thing that your text board is lighting up and people are angry because there isn't one easy solution here. And at the, re- the risk of repeating myself from last weekend, until everybody recognizes that the system 
that we have now is broken significantly and is prepared to do the big work of changing it and making it, you know, devising it to be more effective, uh, nobody's going to win. No premier in this country right now, I think, is getting any love and affection from his or her electorate uh, over the state of healthcare in their respective provinces. Because from my province in Newfoundland and Labrador to BC, it's all broken. And money alone is not going to fix it. So let's hope this anger that citizens rightly have forces politicians to do something more than just say we need more money from the federal government to fix it because that alone is not going to do it yeah and you know tom it's interesting to to hear tim there talking about all the other provinces going through this because i think a lot of people say that um you know especially other conservative governments they look to Doug Ford as sort of writing the playbook for how things are done. And he doesn't look, be, he doesn't seem to be looking very good right now. What are you, what are your thoughts well, on this? Two different things. And I'm going to steal a page from uh, Tim's playbook because he often talks about the political communication side. I think that they made a big mistake when Doug Ford was pushed to the microphones last week and he essentially said this, you're getting all the health care you need. And that was the wrong answer. The Doug Ford who got reelected was a Doug Ford who showed that he understands people, that he was empathetic, that he gets this stuff. Where Tim is right, and I agree with him, if you look in Quebec, we're, you know, regional hospitals shutting down their emergencies over the weekend. The shortage of nurses and doctors isn't specific to Ontario, but the Quebec government pushes a decent communicator out there. Our health minister is a top-notch communicator. He says, we're doing this and that and the other thing. One thing I liked, in the response was the new health minister in Ontario coming forward last week and saying that she had just sent directives to the colleges of nurses and physicians mm-hmm. to try to knock down unnecessary barriers to the arrival and accreditation of foreign trained graduates. Now, that's a very good idea. It's a long yep. overdue thing, but it requires a bit of pressure to get it done because there are, of course, lots of strong lobbyists pushing back the other way. So using, again, to Tim's point, this crisis and not wasting it can include coming to an agreement with a lot of those professions, knocking down some of those barriers. And I would add the barriers between professions and their scope of practice to make the whole thing more efficient. That's what this is about, getting care to Canadians, and that's what they deserve. And that's what Mr. Ford didn't understand in the first answer he gave. And it was unfortunate because he he lit this brush fire under himself because of that comment. Yeah, I I, I want to switch um, gears just a little bit here, a topic that we've discussed many times before, but always new stuff coming forward. And that is a new poll that has found that Pierre Poiliev, while he may be the preferred uh, candidate for the leadership race at the Conservative Party of Canada among Conservatives, uh, this new poll found that Sheree is favored by Canadians. Uh, Tim, I want to go to you on this first. Does this matter to Poiliev at this point? Do you think he cares? Uh, no, <laughs> I don't think he does at this point, but he's going to have to pay attention to it at some point and dig down and figure out why that is beyond the brand name of, of Jean Charest. He, you know, this has been Mr. Charest's key attack against Mr. Polyev during the campaign. It has been his key rallying cry. So what Pierre is going to have to do should he win on September 10th, which seems like an inevitability, is is first of all, recognize that both Sheree and this guy, Patrick Brown, you may have heard of him, he was around for a little while. The people that they have got to support the Conservative Party probably are in that in that group, that cohort that say they would like to see a leader other than Pierre Polyev. He's got to figure out how to keep them engaged in the Conservative Party and figure out how to 
connect with Canadians who don't have him held in the same regard as they do, say, Jean Charest, uh, but not something he's going to obsess about over the next five weeks. Laura, what, what are your thoughts on this this poll? Does it matter for Poiliev at this point, or is he just thinking about right now? I don't think it matters for Poliev at this point. Um, but to Tim's point, he is going to have to sort out this problem because it's a problem for him in the long term. Um, you know, the four of us may be familiar with Poliev, but the average Canadian isn't. And it seems to be that the more they see of him, the less they like him. Um, I don't know if he continues on the with the rhetoric he's got. I don't think that changes. And so he is going to have to find a way to um, either walk back some of his rhetoric, which I'm not sure he can, or appeal to the, you know, average centrist Canadian and right of center Canadian. Tom, what, what is the way forward for, for Pierre in this, if, presuming that he is the next leader of the Conservative Party? I like Laura's analysis in the sense that Pierre Poiliev loves being that strident guy. But it's interesting. We were just talking a minute ago about the professions. Well, he had to walk back a statement he had made because he said the feds were going to take care of that. Of course, it's provincial jurisdiction. So he often talks about gatekeepers. He has gatekeepers. <laughs> They're his handlers. And they wa- they made sure before he did the French debate, he changed his tune on that one. I think he's capable of doing that. He is communicating to his base, including the harder right base that went to Maxime Bernier, saying, I will never do like O'Toole, and sheer, you'll never have to worry about me on climate change and a carbon tax and guns. I'm going to be your guy. He's 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 going to succeed in that. Now he's got to talk to other Canadians and say, I'm that guy for the Conservatives, but I can also be the Prime Minister of all Canadians. That's his big challenge because Canadians right now are skeptical. I watched his behavior when he was a minister because I was right there in front of him. His behavior as a minister in Stephen Harper's government, he was the most strident. He brought in a so-called electoral reform that was so toxic that even Harper had to back away from it. So this guy's got a lot to learn, but I do believe he is learning. We'll see whether he's capable of completing the, the play. You know what? Perhaps what we will see is uh, Pierre Poilievre will be named the next leader of the Conservative Party of Canada, and then he'll step before the microphones in his first address to all Canadians as the the Conservative leader and say, guys, it's complicated. Okay, we got to just change course a little bit. It's a little bit complicated. That does it for the War Room uh, this week. Big thanks to our panelists, Tom Mulcair, CTV political analyst and former NDP leader, as well as Tim Powers, chairman of Summa Strategies and managing director of Abacus Data, and Laura D'Angelo, vice president of National Strategy and Public Affairs at Enterprise Canada. Thank you very much. It was a wonderful War Room. 